Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Watchman. We are sounding the alarm for the peril and the uncertainty that lie ahead. Our commitment is for the objective truth. As the watchman on the wall, we will call out whenever we see those that live in the fifth dimension attempt to put feelings and emotions in front of facts and truth. We will call out the real motives of those living in the land of unlimited imagination. And we do that by unpacking and expounding on those underreported facts. Today, we're going to be getting into that with Annette Baker. Annette Baker is an environmental science expert. She's also a homeschool teacher, and she's a candidate for the Pennsylvania Senate District, the 11th District, against Judy, the Marxist schwank, who is preventing our economy from being open. And Annette wants to turn that around by putting the proper leadership in Harrisburg. Um, Annette is also a region chairwoman of the Berks Republican Committee. Welcome back to the Watchman, Annette. Thank you, Clay. Glad to be back. Well, it's great having you. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, what's going on there in, in China. And I think what's really interesting on this is the relationship between the U.S. and China. It is totally different today than it was when Barack Hussein Obama was president 10 years ago. I mean, we see the Chinese being interested in, in partaking in actions that destroy Western ideas. We see this everywhere. The Confucius Institutes have been set up in our universities. We're watching this. And they're attacking our constructs and our governments. That's what's happening. I mean, can't miss it. This puts Americans at risk. Now, the list of their action is is the list of their actions are they're long, but whether it's stealing American intellectual property or destroying hundreds of millions of jobs here in the US with this plague, or whether it's the new sandbars that they're constructing in the South China China Sea to change their boundaries and seize control of the South China Sea where they can deny commercial traffic an opportunity to, to freely move throughout the area. See, the Chinese right now are even threatening to invade Taiwan and are poised at the border with India. This is going on. I mean, I mean, and that, I mean, what is the difference between Trump and, and, and I mean, what, what, what do you have to comment on that so far with China? But also, what do you see that Trump has brought into the show here that Obama and Biden didn't have and they weren't bringing it? Well, I, I agree with you. I think the, the dynamic has completely changed because the Chinese recognize that the president is not going to blindly, uh, well, sit by, you know, just idly sit by, I should say. Um, and allow them to continue this. My husband was telling me recently that he read an article where uh, there was a uh, railroad that was being built. I believe it was on uh, the border with India, if I remember correctly. Um, I can't remember exactly where he said it was, but the the uh, Chinese actually came into this other country and told them to stop building that railroad. And wow. that the Chinese did not like it. And that was amazing. I said, they did? And he said, yeah. He said, they, they told them to stop building and the country did. Um, so the Chinese are very emboldened right now. I think with uh, particularly everything that's happened with COVID-19, I think that has uh, really emboldened them because they've seen the World Health Organization has backed them up. Um, 
And I believe that uh, the United Nations also is uh, coming alongside them and saying, you know, look, you, you shouldn't be um, under all of these tariffs. Uh, you know, and, and I think what's going to happen is we're going to see a very different policy coming out of the second Trump um, uh, after he's elected for a second time. The second, uh, um, I can't even think of the word tonight, um, his second term, there we go. When he has his second term, um, I think you will see a more aggressive stance uh, for him. And and honestly, I think that that has to do with public sentiment. A lot of people are recognizing that when we allow China to produce so much of the goods and, and you know things like antibiotics and other drugs that we need here in this country, they're produced in China. People now understand that that is not a position we want to be in. That is actually puts us at a very weak position for national security issues. Um, and, and that's something I think the president will address uh, more strongly in his second term. Well, I think what's interesting is when you look at the, the, the strongest militaries on the planet Earth, and they got global power indexes. I mean, I, I went to globalfirepower.com. And there's a lot of websites to go to. But they show, obviously, the U.S. with the strongest military. And then behind us is Russia and then China. But India is the fourth strongest military, believe it or not. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That. Now, mm -hmm. what's interesting on that as well is South Korea is not far behind with Japan. So I think what's interesting, though, is India is there and they're – but I think right, what we're seeing, and I think, we're, I think the idea is that you're, what we're watching – we saw Trump before this whole COVID thing went crazy – we saw Trump over there in India, and he was at that stadium, that soccer stadium. There's 100,000 Indians. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were there celebrating, screaming for Trump. They love the guy. They love Trump. <laughs> I think as much as we do. <laughs> and I, I think it's really amazing. I mean, I was really pleased to see that. And I think it's because they realize they are needing our help against the Chinese. I think what's also happening is you're seeing some posturing right now. The Russians and the Chinese are kind of getting together. And believe me, they got nothing in common. Uh, but they are trying to get together. And I think I think Trump is smartly getting with other countries like Japan. Well, we know Japan's got a very powerful military, but also India. I mean, I mean, when you take the top 10 militaries in the world right now, I mean, uh, I mean, you got Egypt in there, I guess, in Brazil. I should say, yeah, Egypt, Brazil is in there. But you get, I mean, the, the I mean, the United States has like seven of them on their side, strongly. I mean, Egypt is in Brazil are also on the side of of the America of, of this country with regard to foreign policy. The Egyptians are certainly on our side, and Brazil as well. And again, you know. Eight, that's eight of the top 10 militaries in the world are aligned with us. And of course, China's aligned with Russia. So, but look, there's enough there. They could, they could do a lot of damage to the world. Obviously, we're not looking for that. But I think what's interesting is the offsetting of it all, because it's not so much the military power, it's the economic power. That's the key. When, you know, you can see a direct correlation between the economies and the, the, the military strengths of a country. When you see a, a country with a strong military, it's probably because they have a strong economy as well. 
Now, it's either that or they're, they're bankrupting their economy to fund their, or I should say they're bankrupting their people to, to fund their military. And that could be happening like it is in Russia, because Russia's economy is actually uh, less than France's economy. Now, France is in the top 10 military, but, but whatever the case is, I just think it's really ironic. And Trump was over there. So Trump is looking at the supply lines, the, eco- the economical supply lines. That's what he's looking at. The military is part of it, but that's not really what he's trying to align with. He wants this economy. He wants to reshape these supply lines. China lied to the United States of America. China lied to the world. China seeded this virus deliberately around the world. And we know this from the timelines. But when you actually look at what happened, I mean, the Chinese were denying this was a human-to-human spread until about two days after the Chinese New Year, which celebrated the year of the rat. Okay? The year of the rat was celebrated. And just before that happened, they they had basically hundreds of thousands of people that left the Hubei province around the world. I mean, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, they went and seeded this virus everywhere. But the Chinese knew because they were preventing travel from, from out of the Hubei province. They didn't let people leave the Hubei province into other provinces. They kept people in that province basically contained. Am I right in it? Yes, they did. Yep. So I mean, they they must have known something, wouldn't they? Wouldn't you say they knew this was a deadly virus that was out there? Yeah, they knew they knew something was going on, and you know, to excuse me, limit the travel like they did, they obviously were concerned. Um, they just weren't concerned enough to to let everybody else know, um, you know, and with the World Health Organization. They they had to have known something was going on, and again, you know, they they chose not to tell anyone. Right, and that, that to me still is astounding that they sat on the information for as long as they did. Uh, I think of you know the people, more people in Italy um, and Spain that lost their lives. Had they known what was going on, would things have been different? You know, would it, it would have. I'm sure it would have saved some, but you know they they weren't forthcoming for sure. Well, I think what's really telling on all this too is, is again, you know that I mean this is what a biological war looks like. Okay, this is what it looks like. Okay, yeah. make no mistake, except they'll use something a lot more deadlier next time. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and there's no doubt that this was an attack. I mean, look, but but look, Trump is doing first off. We haven't had a president like Trump stand up to communist China in a long, long time. We have not had anybody stand up to the communists like we're having Trump. Trump is pushing back and looking to protect the interests of America. That's what he's doing. Now, he's taken a series of responses to China to not to not only with with what happened with with Hong Kong, because what's going on there is an amazing thing, too. I mean, we see the destruction of this great free market and the enormous commerce. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what we're seeing in Hong Kong. I mean, we may be sanctioning actual city, uh, actual officials, Chinese communist officials, personally, for smothering Hong Kong's freedoms. I mean, this may be happening, and they're also offering refuge to a lot of that enterprise that's in Hong Kong. In other words, you can come here if you want. Bring your bring your money here. <laughs> I mean, Trump's <laughs> opening the door to these Chinese. I mean, he's done this. He's opened the door to these Chinese, saying, "We want your business here. Come here." I, you know, look, we're, 
I mean, it's amazing. We're going to review all those policies with Hong Kong and revisit everything. I mean, I mean, I, I just think that this is going to be a big player in what's going on. I mean, he's also barring Chinese students that have connections to their military, the communist military, to not be able to study here. And he's restricting Chinese companies from being listed on the stock exchange under a different set of rules. In other words, they can be listed, but under the same set of rules. Mm-hmm. And he's taking action on trade and basically uh, to try to get re- re- reciprocity back into the system to level the playing field for American companies. I mean, I mean, he's literally playing hardball with these guys, isn't he, Annette? Yeah, I think uh, I would definitely say so. I mean, that that is not um, definitely not the Joe Biden foreign policy toward <laughs> China, um, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's it's. You're right. I mean, he has totally turned the tables um, in terms of of how um, America is approaching dealing with China with China. Um, Obviously, you know, Taiwan is an issue that has not gone away and will not go away until it's resolved. China still refuses to recognize Taiwan as a sovereign nation. um, And that is that is not going to stop. You know, that that is something that is. going to have to be resolved for sure and you're right you know, with with all of the things that they're doing to kind of expand their um control to <clears throat> me in the sea of china it's it's going to be a, a definite um you know this is going to be something that's going to be coming up and in the next year or two years uh, there's there's going to be significant policy that is going to have to be implemented and and frankly, I just don't see uh, Joe Biden in his history of being very soft on China um, being beneficial to the United States. I think we're going to go back to the Obama era, um, you know, the Obama era policies, and then that is not going to be good for our country. No, no. I, I look. The bottom line is Biden is not. We Biden's corrupt as, as Trump calls him, stone cold corrupt. I mean that guy. Had his son over there and some companies over there making money in China. To what end? I mean, what was that all about? And his connections with China. Look, Biden has got connections with China. The Chinese would love nothing more than to have Joe Biden to deal with. I mean, Joe Biden can't carry a two-pound wreath. Literally. He can't carry a two-pound wreath. And, you know, to to lay on a memorial ceremony over there in in in, in uh, washington or wherever it was delaware i think it was wilmington he can't he, he can't even carry the wreath without a- attempting to fall over i mean the guy's ancient frail and i think mentally he's uh he's weak i think uh they know it but look the country i think this is what i think all of this is going to come down to and i i want to point to the idea of where you think the political winds are shifting right now with Trump and what's going on and all the actions that are going on. Obviously, I think the people, see, I believe that the people of this country are going to want a leader. They're not looking for Mr. Nice Guy. They're not looking for Mr. Nice Guy. They want a results-oriented, a results-attaining individual to be the president of the United States. They want someone that's going to handle trade effectively for this country. And that's not Joe Biden. I, I think Americans are going to be like, how is Biden going to? I mean, it, it, I was scrolling the social media sites of some of these Democrat organizations recently. They don't like Biden. <laughs> they don't like him. 
<laughs> I mean, the Democrats don't like them. I mean, I'm looking, I'm reading some of their Facebook posts and social media, and, it, and I mean, you know, this is the feeling. I mean, they just don't like them. They see the guy as a slow, a, a slow, like a sloth with with uh, not being able to compose sentences. They see him as a weakling. They they wanted a real radical. What they really wanted was Bernie Sanders, and they just they don't see Biden shaking anything up. And I tell you what, I was reading some of the stuff because when he made that racial comment, which by the way the Democrats did not condemn the racial comments. Uh, when he said, uh, what was it he said to the uh, the Breakfast Club? If you ain't, what did he say? You ain't, you ain't black. black. You ain't black. If you don't vote for him, you ain't black. There it is. Okay. Something to that effect. That, that's what he said. Yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you something. You should have seen the you should have seen the comments on the Democrat Facebook pages with Biden. Oh my <laughs> goodness, they were lighting him up. I mean, I'm encouraged by that. That's why I'm sharing that because of all all of our listeners here, I'm sure most, if not all, are Trump's supporters. And I think that in you know, in conservatives and 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 I mean, constitutional individuals that they want to pr- protect and preserve our constructs in this country. I mean, we all hear what's coming out of the news, and and trust me when I tell you. Biden is not getting any energy. He's not getting any traction with his own party. And I tell you, when it comes down to it, we went into these numbers. And I, I mean, I, I, Annette and I go into this all the time because Annette's an, a numbers cruncher. I mean, when you actually see it and you watch, you know, in this country, like I said, there's 235 million registered voters. There's about 98 million registered Democrats, about 89 million registered Republicans. Well, on the surface, you're like, oh, they outnumber us by 9 million. But when you see that they don't have the energy in their candidate, then they're likely to be eclipsed by the Republicans by maybe 15 or 25 percent. Now, if that happens, the Republicans could get like 75 percent of their voter base out. and The Democrats can end up with 60 percent. If that happens, you will see a Reagan 1984 landslide, folks. <laughs> I mean, that's what's going to happen if we if the Republicans are able to get 70 plus percent out and the Democrats cannot eclipse 60 percent. They are toast, folks, toast, especially when you know what percent of the Republicans are going to vote for Trump and what percent of the Republicans are going to vote for Biden. And the other way around, what percentage of the Democrats are going to vote for Biden and what percent of the Democrats are going to vote for Trump? When you throw those numbers into the factor, Trump's up by six, seven million votes. And that's before the independents are counted. And just to put that in perspective, because you don't know how many independents are going to come out. If 55% of the the independents come out and vote, or even 60%, but it's more like 50-55%, there's only 45 million registered independents. If 50% comes out, you're looking at about 22 million, 23 million. 55 comes out, you're looking at about 23, 24, 25 million. Well, if Trump is up by 7 million votes before them, those votes count, it doesn't even matter. Biden would have to get almost all of them. That's just not going to happen, folks. Trump is going to win in a landslide election. This is what they know. The Democrats know this. They know this. They know this like they know their middle names. And trust me, this is why the Pravda propaganda is in, in line with all this. But, Annette, what do you think is going on with all that's going on 
whether it's the COVID virus, whether it's the protests you're seeing, the riots, I should say, not the protests, the riots that we're seeing, the terrorist organization, how Trump's handling the riots, how Trump's, you know, his, his you know, his his leadership and and, and leading this country. What do you see in, in how the Republicans are going to respond to this and how the Democrats are likely to respond to this? Well, I think we're already seeing uh, the difference between Republican-led states and Democrat-led states. Uh, Republican-led states, uh, they they generally, the, the governors are activating their National Guard forces to be on standby. If the riots get out of control, they're ready to move and uh, reestablish peace. Whereas in a lot of the Democrat states, they're just being allowed to, by and large, um, have their riots destroy property. And they're allowed to just kind of, like with what happened in Baltimore a number of years ago, um, you know, the, the governor or the mayor said, you know, stand down, let them get their anger and frustration out, and then we'll deal with, with the cleanup afterwards. Um, that was kind of the the approach of the way that they they dealt with it. Um, it was more of a hands off, you know, stand back. Um, they have a right to protest, and and I think there's a great distinction that needs to be made. The difference between protesting and rioting is in protesting you are you can be loud, you can be um, forceful, you can demand change, um, but with rioting, when you get into the looting and and destruction of property and burning down um, historic buildings and, and destroying uh, memorials and things like that, that goes way beyond protesting. That, that is into, as, as the, the president said, that's getting closer to domestic terrorism. And I think what we're seeing is there's, there's a lot of encouragement for the president to um, decisively label Antifa as as a domestic terrorist organization, and that would change the way that they are dealt with. Um, and I think there's, you know, there are obviously some constitutional questions that need to be answered as to whether or not he can do that. Um, but what we have to look at what is going on. This is one of the things that I've, I've posed this question, and, and no one has really answered it yet. Um, so maybe someone um, in the audience can can let us know what their opinion would be on this. Um, I am shocked at the number of young white students. Uh, I'm assuming students because uh, I've read that they are students. Um, they are out looting and destroying black neighborhoods and no one has called them out on that. And to me, that seems racist. Mm -hmm. When you're out destroying a black neighborhood in the name of protesting someone who was killed, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it makes sense to protest. It makes sense to um, call attention to what's happened. Absolutely. But to actively burn down someone's business That's right. that is, is owned by a black entrepreneur who is doing nothing other than trying to better their life, to provide for their family. Why is that not called racist? Why is that not called out? Um, I think that I think that that needs to be called out. I, I don't understand why they they can just do that and no one calls attention to that. Um, maybe I'm looking at it incorrectly. Uh, you know, I don't know. But 
to me, that just seems completely antithetical to what they're trying to, to do. And, and, you know, I, I, um, was talking about this with, with a friend of mine today. I said, you know, with the looting and the rioting that has been going on, it actually damages the message that they're trying to get out about George Floyd. What happened to him is not a travesty. It was a homicide. And that is absolutely unacceptable in this country. I don't care what color you are. No one deserves to die like that man died. And, you know, they need to be held accountable for that. And that's something that I think will happen. Uh, obviously, the, the wheels are, are in motion. Um, there, after the autopsies that were done today, there is some um, question as to whether the charges will be amended to first degree murder, because apparently the uh, autopsies that came out are saying that uh, the asphyxiation was the main cause of his of his death um, that changes things, I believe. Um, so I think that we're going to see, we may see the charges amended to first degree murder. Um, so you know that in itself, even his own brother said, you know, all this rioting and looting and destruction of property diminishes That's right. his death. That's right. And, and that is something that we need to. You know, people need to understand those that would come alongside and say, yes, we need to stop this. Yes, you know, racism is horrible and we need to bring it to to an end. Um, when when people see what's happening with the looting and everything else, they have a really hard time. They step back and say, nope, I don't want to I, I, I won't march with that group because I don't want to be arrested for looting and burning something. When, when that's not what I want to do, I want to protest and say this is wrong and it can't happen anymore. But I don't want to be part of the group that, you know, gets in trouble for destroying well, property. Well, I think I think we talked about this. And, and again, we, we don't know if the police officers motives were racism or not. We don't know that. OK, right. we, we do right. know that the police officers motives were to kill this guy. And, and he did. He committed a homicide. I mean, it was horrible what happened. We saw it. Every time we watch the tape, we cringe. I mean, every time we watch it, we get angry. I do. I do. I, I can't imagine it to this poor guy. I just can't imagine this happen. But but one, one thing is for sure, like you said, for uh, you know, uh, his brother is, the victim's brother is, is out there declaring and decrying that we need to not be trashing our cities. You know, you referenced uh, what happened in Baltimore. Stephanie Gray was the mayor at the time in Baltimore. And mm-hmm. uh, she wanted to give room to vent and destroy the city is what she said again uh, you know uh, you know look bad police work is bad police work it's what it is i mean and you know a, a sadist that becomes an officer of the law is going to is going to be a, a sadist it doesn't change he's still one that likes to inflict pain and suffering on people some people like that well they shouldn't be cops and when they're cops and they break yeah. the law then they're going to go to jail and that's what happens okay uh, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, you know, the bottom line is we, we, we look at what's going on and and we understand that our country has gone through an awful lot here. But as we talked about, you know, what what happened to George Floyd was a crime. And I mean, now, was it racism? We don't know. But what I what I don't like is I don't like seeing the media out there and the, 
the fake journalists out there and the fake experts out there, as well as the Hollywood, the expert actors in Hollywood, the 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 actors in Hollywood that are experts on everything. I'd like to see them out there decrying that everything's racism all the time because it's not. Oftentimes it's just bad police work and or or just bad cops, bad actors, criminals, sadists, whatever you want to call them that become officers of the law. And and when they are and they get past all the the the, the complicated psychological tests that they go through, believe me, there's a huge testing that these people go through interview process. It's not just to get hired. They, they go through an extensive psychoanalyst program, if you will. So they can, uh, the, the cities and the municipalities need to know that these people are not mentally unstable. But sometimes they become mentally unstable when they're in the job and it's not caught while they're in the job. And that, but it is caught, obviously, when mentally unstable people do these, these dreadful things like this guy did, this cop. Anyway. Uh, but you know, they're, they're, he's going to he's going to jail, and there'll be um, a lot going. There's a lot that's going to be happening with him. Uh, all those other ones are going to go with him as well. But what do you think they're looking for in the autopsy? What are they looking for? Well, I know that they that they said. Um, I mean, they always run toxicology screens and things like that. Those take a couple weeks to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did say there was a um, the original autopsy said that there were it looked like there were were a number of contributing factors to his death one of the things that they said there may have been stimulants in his system or something that may have contributed to his death um and my understanding is uh they had the family hired an independent um forensic uh doctor to pathologist to go through or to um, conduct his own autopsy and he said that it was the death was consistent with asphyxiation, basically um, strangled, not being able to breathe. Yeah, he yeah. was strangled. He was strangled. basically the the um, yeah his his because he, of the knee on his neck and the weight on his body. What uh, some of the video does not show. It only shows the one police officer. I believe his last name was Chauvin. It yeah. shows him with his knee on his neck. What that video doesn't show very clearly but another video does is that there are three other officers that are on him as well. Oh my behind goodness. The police car. Yeah. He was being held down by four people. Um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that's coming out with other videos. They, they that, crushed the life um, right out of him. They crushed the life right out of they him. They did. They did. There was no reason for that officer to be on his neck like that. He could have very easily gotten off. The other three had him under control. Um, I myself have not seen there's supposedly another longer video that has come out that actually shows him in handcuffs being calm until they put were going to put him into Chauvin's squad car. That's when he reacted and was fighting to like, no, I'm not going to go in there. Um, that's when they then took him to the ground and everyone jumped on him. Um and and I cannot, for the life of me, understand why none of the other officers intervened to try to get um, at least Chauvin off his neck. So that and and when he's complaining, he can't breathe. When he finally passes out, they check him and say, "Yeah, he's still got a pulse," but they don't get off him. And that's the part that doesn't, you know, none of this uh, makes sense. Now there are uh, some theories out there that. Um, 
it's just developing. There's some things that are, are coming out that this may be related to some other things that have been going on with a particular nightclub in the Minneapolis area. Um, I want to do some more research on it before I elaborate because it could be just pure conjecture. Um, but if any of it is true, there are connections to government agencies that are going to need to be looked into. And, you know, I, Bill I, Barr I, is going to have his, he's got his hands full. Well, um, if that is in, in any way, shape or form connected. So, well, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be, you know, looked into with this whole thing. There's a lot still developing. Well, we are, we are out of time. Sure. We got to go. So uh, look, Annette, thank you very much for that, for that unpacking of that with a punch. We appreciate to all of our listeners as well. Appreciation goes out to all of our listeners for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. This afternoon to The Watchman. Tune in every Saturday afternoon right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL at 430 for this unpacking of the truth. We appreciate you being here. Uh, much of our audience, if they're not in the listening area, chooses to listen to us during li- during live airtime by going to YouTube and clicking Listen Live there or just going to 1180WFYL.com and li- click Listen Live there. Others pick up the podcast. However you choose to do it, thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Clay Brees for Annette Baker. We'll see you next week on The Watchman. Goodbye for now.